morning, church. How are we? Good. Um, man, I'm excited. We are in James today, as Holly just beautifully read. She, uh, spoiler alert for chapter five, but um, uh, it actually sounds the same too, which is interesting. But um, uh, and so we just read these verses, and we've been in James for several weeks now, um, and we have several more weeks to go. Uh, but it is has been good, um, and. What I'm going to do today is going to break all the rules of preaching. I'm going to tell you my main point just right now. Uh, every book says don't do that. Like you got to build tension and tell a story and do this. But like we've got to understand the main point today. Uh, if we can understand the main point, then we can go through the scripture. We can really understand what James is trying to tell us. Because without the, the lens uh, that I want to try and give you here in a moment, I think we'll miss it. We won't understand what James is trying to do. So, so if you guys are ready, I've got the main point for today's text. It is this, God has designed the universe in such a way that we can participate in it and find life, or we can rebel against it and find death and destruction. Okay, so, so here's the case that I think the Bible makes, and I'll make here in a second. There is, God, God has designed the universe and all that is in it to work a certain way. And we can participate in that, we can go with God's plan and design, and we can find life and joy in his favor, or we can also decide to rebel against that, to work against it, to decide, I know what's best for me. I know God designed it all, but in shop one time, I made like a birdhouse, so I'm pretty good at designing too, and I'm going to go ahead and just do my own thing. We can, we can do that, and we'll find death and destruction. So those are our two things, and, and really, we see this uh, in Proverbs chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 8. I'm also going to put it up here so you guys don't have to like search your Bible and find Proverbs. Um, but Proverbs chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 22. Because I want to prove this point to you guys. I don't want you to be like, Zach's just saying this, because I say a lot of stuff. But this is from the Bible. Uh, so 8.22 says this. The Lord possessed me. So this is wisdom talking. This is wisdom. This isn't someone talking. This is, this is poetry, but it's, this, it's wisdom is speaking. The idea, the person of wisdom. The Lord possessed me, wisdom, at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old, ages ago I was set up, at the first, be before the beginning of the earth, when there was no depths, I was brought forth, when there was no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there, when he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so, there, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, there I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O oh sons, listen to me. Listen to wisdom. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me wisdom finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. This is wisdom talking, right? So God, 
from the very beginning, God had this design, this wisdom that this is how things were going to be. And we could enter into that. We can go along with that. We can submit to that and find life, enjoy the fullness of life possible on this earth. Or we can say we hate that and find death. We can rebel against it and injure ourselves, right? So there's this idea here. And so James is going to talk to us about uh, true wisdom and false wisdom. And he's going to start with false wisdom. Um, so this is good news for us, though, okay? It's going to start with false wisdom. It's going to be kind of like dark and like, oh, this is bad wisdom for a little while. But here's the good news. Again, this is the end of the sermon at the beginning. God has not left us just to fumble about and find our way through this life. We already read in James chapter 1 that if, if any of us lacks wisdom, all we have to do is ask, and he gives it abundantly. So I want us to talk about what false, witness, false wisdom is. I want us to do some diagnostic tests to see, hey, am I living in false wisdom? I want to talk about what true wisdom is and invite us into living in true wisdom. So this is, what, um, this is what James would say. Who is, in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earth, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will also be disorder in every vile practice. So this is what, this is what James is saying. He say, um, um, hey, like there is a wisdom that says, no, 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 no. Th there, there isn't a way to live my life. I decide how to live my life. There's a wisdom that would tell us we get to decide what's right for us. We get to decide our own happiness, our own joy, our own destiny. We are the captain of our ship, and we can go where we can. There's a wisdom that would say to us, a false wisdom, that would say what God says are just preferences. It's like best-case scenario. That would be nice if I could do it that way. But God wrote this book thousands of years ago, right? He, didn't, he, didn't, he couldn't see possibly what was going on in 2019. Like, he just wouldn't know that my life is like this, that my family's like this, my husband's like this, my kids. Like, he couldn't know. So these commands, these laws, the, the way he designed the universe to work did not foresee me in 2019. So there's some things that are going to have to change. I'll now decide what's right for me. There's a wisdom that would say that. There's a false wisdom that is rooted in saying, God Saying to God, there is no right way to live that you've laid out for me. I will find it, and I will decide, and I will change what you've said to be for me. That's false wisdom. He builds it out like this. It's marked by bitterness, jealousy, and selfish ambition. Those, and, and ultimately, how could it not be, right? Because if, if you have the uh, pride to say, I know what's best for my life, then how could you not be bitter towards people who would tell you there's something else? How could you not be bitter and jealous of what other people have? Because you're, you're trying to get something for yourself. So you've designed this way to get it. And how could you not be jealous when other people get it? Because that's all your life's about is getting this thing. So I'm going to organize my life around finding my happiness. How could you not be jealous? How could you not? I mean, it, it's just the, it's, it's the uh, epitome of selfish ambition, right? So this is what false wisdom is. False wisdom is our life is about us. That our life is about me. My life is designed, I'm going or, to orchestrate and design my life to be about me and to be my best. I'm going to live my best life now, right? 
This is, this, is what, this is what our culture says. This what, all the commercials you watch, all the movies you watch, all you can go to uh, Barnes & Noble if those still exist. I think Amazon's pretty much the biggest thing now. You can go, but they have their own bookstores. So you can go to, you know, go to a bookstore. You can go to the self-help section. All these books are going to say, this is how you better your life. This is how you, this, this is about you. I have the incredible job to stand up here and tell you your life is not about you. Um, and that may be painful for some of us to hear, but your life isn't about you. Your life has given to you, you were created, designed, and, and, and breathed life into by God to be about him. To be about him. So you may sit here and think, okay, cool, so what am I, like second place, like it's God and then me? No. Like you're not even second place. Like it's God, everyone else, then you. Th- that, that, that's, that's our neighbor, like love God and love our neighbor. This is the Christian life. Now, when we get to true wisdom, I'm going to build the case of why this is incredible news for us. Because when your life is no longer about you, that frees you up a little bit, right? Frees you up a lot, actually. Frees you up so much. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Ultimately, what happens with false wisdom is you reject God and you say, there's a way that seems right to me. I will follow that way. Regardless of what God says, regardless of what his wisdom says, I will follow my way. When you live like that, you become uppermost in your own affections. You become your own God. And this is false wisdom. And it leads to boasting and being false to the truth. You would say in verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. You begin to boast. Right, so you begin to boast about how your life is, and you begin to lie, right? So this is what you need to picture in your mind. This is what happens with false wisdom. What happens with false wisdom is you're, you, you, bring lie, you bring destruction and death into your life, and then you're trying to convince everyone death and destruction isn't in your life, right? So, like, your, your whole life is burning down around you, and people are like, hey, man, it looks like your life's on fire. You're like, no, 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 it's totally fine. That's just, like, not a big deal. We're going we're gonna to get to that later. Right now, my life is fantastic. Everything's going well. We begin to boast and lie about what our life is like because we have this false wisdom. Because false wisdom, we, we, can't, we, it's, we just can't admit that it's false. We, we just think we need more stuff. We need more stuff. It's not, it's not that this isn't working out. It's not my life is burning down. I just haven't gotten there yet. This is what happens. Our, our culture knows this so well, right? So our culture, me growing up, our culture told me what you need is, is money and fame, right? So, like, I grew up during this time, like, you got the Mickey Mouse Club, and then they got older, like, Justin Timberlake and Bernie Spears, and they got the fame and money, but they were still depressed and struggling with things, so it's like, they just need more and more and more. So there's this culture of, like, you just need more. You just need more. And we all resonate with that. We all, all of us, so here's the thing, if we could just be honest for a second, here's the thing. No one is more an enemy to you than you. No one, I don't, you can talk about the enemy, Satan, no one is more an enemy to you than you. No one has done more harm to you than you. I get, I know things, like I, I, I have the privilege and heartache to hear the most devastating stories in this church. But I could still stand here and say no one has done more harm to you than you because no matter what happens to you, you alone have chosen what to believe and how to react to those things. Horrible things happen to you but we have chosen to believe lives and we know the truth. No one, like, no one's more an enemy to your joy than you are. 
How many times in your life have you thought, man, if I could just get this one thing, if I could get that promotion, if I could get that relationship, if I could get this, if I could just have this amount of money in my savings account, like whatever it is, if I could just get that, then I'd be okay. And then you get that, and then what happens? You're not okay. You need more. Okay, well, I got that promotion. It wasn't all I thought it was. It's actually a lot more responsibility than it is money, so now I need another one. Like eventually I'll have less responsibility and more money. That's not going to happen. Like it's just not a thing. You, and so, like, think about relationships for a second. Like, some of us carry so much baggage into our current relationship because of a previous relationship where we just knew, I need this. If I had this, I'd be okay. And now you regret ever having it. This is you being your own worst enemy. And you have to believe it's true. We can blame uh, Satan, and we can blame those things, and, and, and there is a sense where we're tempted but we're only tempted with what's already inside of us. We are our own worst enemy. And so we boast and we lie and we want more and more and more and more. So this is what happens. False wisdom. We believe it. We want more. But I know some of us here probably are thinking, that doesn't sound like me. Like I have, I, I think I have that true wisdom I hope you'll get to at some point today. That's what you're thinking. So like, uh, what I want to do is I want to transition into our diagnostic test that we've been doing almost every Sunday of is this you? Is, could this be you? So here's some roots of false wisdom. Here's some roots. This is what James is going to say. For uh, this is, he says in verse uh, 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So he, he, here's, some, here's some tests for you. False wisdom is earthly. False wisdom is rooted not in what is my life going to be like 10, 20,000 years from now, but what is my life like today? Because if we're Christians, we believe there's 10, 20,000 years from now from us, right? Like we believe there's 20,000 billion years from now we will exist and we'll be worshiping the Lord, our God. But false wisdom is rooted in the here and right now. And that's going to affect the decisions we make. Because if all there is is here and right now, that I'm going to spend my money in such a way that gets me all that I want here and now, right? This is why us in America, we get into ridiculous amounts of debt because we believe this is all that there is. And if this is all that there is, then I need to fill it with everything that I need and want to bring me happiness. And so I will spend more money than I have to get those things. And then we will enslave ourselves to debt collectors and other things. And so we, we do this. We, we, we have decided that, you know what, like, man, I just need right now to be better. And so we, we the, the, the earthliness, if that's, if that's a word, I'm still not sure if I could just add suffixes to the end of words and like make it new words. I don't know how that works. Um, but the earthliness of false wisdom will make you make certain decisions about how you spend your time. Because if all there is is right now, then I need to live my life to the fullest for today. I will eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I die, right? Like, is that the refrain of our culture? But if we really believe that there's something from above, that's going to change the way we spend our money. It's going to change the way we spend our time. If we believe that there's 10, 20,000 years from now, then we are going to invest our time, money, gifts, and talents differently than we think today is all there is. Let's get super practical, okay? Um... We are a church of about 90 adults on a Sunday morning. There's two services, about 90 adults, if you can include our, our volunteers, about 35 to 40 kids. Um, that's a ridiculous uh, 
proportion, okay? Like, I don't know if you guys, like, read, like, church planning books. Probably not. I have. This is crazy. Like, this is just not typical, okay? Um, what this means is we need volunteers. We have some awesome volunteers. I know some of us don't like that we have two services. If you look around, you can see why. We could not fit the people from the 9 a.m. in here today. We just wouldn't. But my favorite part about the, the two services is this. We get to have people pour their lives into kids at one service, come sing, worship, and submit themselves to the word at another service. I know that's exhausting. I know it makes for a long day. Trust me, I know it makes for a long day. I get it. And, I, and you know what? I would be, I, if you're sitting here and you're like, I just don't know if I could volunteer that much time. I don't know if I could spend that much time. You know what? If all we had was right here and now, I'd be with you. It seems like a waste of time if all we have is here right now. But if you think about the eternal investment that you're making. Like, so here's what happens. You come, you come to a Sunday, you worship, you stay, you, you, you teach these kids, or you're just a helper, a rotational helper, and you pour your life in these kids, and they see the same teacher every week for weeks at a time. They see the same teacher, and they see the same helper, and they're, they're learning, and they're growing, and they're learning these things. And you're investing your time and your life in that person. They're going to grow up. You're going to die, but they'll still be here. And the hope is that they would invest their life, just like you invested your life, and so on and so on until Jesus returns. So you have this opportunity to invest your time, your money, your talents into the kingdom by volunteering and giving and your generosity of both your time and everything else. This is what we're asking for. Like, we need help. The last 12 weeks, we've had people volunteering every week. Some of those people want, like, a, a little bit of a break. So we just need people to sign up. Um, so, so my job right here is to do, like, a drive-by guilting, okay? So to make you, like, want to do it. And then later, just a spoiler. Like, today's all about spoilers. I feel like later, Amy's going to come up and, and, and show you where the sign-up sheet is, okay? So this is, this is just, like, kind of tell you how this is going to go. But no, but we really do just need help. I get it. So... I know there's a lot, of, a lot of reasons why you couldn't volunteer. If you don't know enough, we'll train you. Um, it's just a lot of time. I get it. Like, and you need time with your kids, you need time with your families. I, I totally get it. Here's the cool thing about what, my, my wife does this so much better than me. It's not a choice between family or ministry, family or serving. My wife is the, is the best person I know at this. She serves with her kids and with me all the time. Uh, every, almost every Monday, she gets up. And she gets the kids ready, and she goes to Pinland School of Arts and Crafts to go to the coffee shop. Um, it's a super great coffee shop, and it's really reasonably priced compared to other coffee shops in our area. They're all great. I'm not dogging any coffee shop. I've got people who work in coffee shops here today. Uh, but Pinland School of Arts and Crafts, she goes there, not just for the price, but because there's this, like, big field, and there's this volleyball court that has sand in it. Don't let your kids eat sand. That's a crazy diaper to change. Um, but they're playing, and she's meeting with women. And she's discipling, and she's pouring her life into these, these women. Um, and their kids are there, too, and they're all playing. And so, so here, it's, it's not choosing between, oh, am I going to spend time with my family, or am I going to do the work of ministry? It's you're doing the work of ministry with your family. And our kids are going to, my hope is our kids grow up, and they don't say, man, mom was never around because she was doing so much ministry. It's they grow up and they say, man, I saw my mom do so much ministry. Like, I saw her pour out her life the sake of others. Because here's what happens if you, if you just form your entire life around your kids. 
It's not pretty, so buckle up, okay? You form your, you form your whole life around your kids. What you teach your kids is their whole, your, their whole life is about them. Then they're going to grow up. Who's going to want to be their friend? No, like, I, my, my kids will probably run, and I'm going to teach them, like, hey, love everyone. Like, it's cool. Like, you got to go love them. But it's not going to go well. You're going to raise kids that no one wants to be around. So the best thing we can do for our kids is bring them with us as we make disciples, whether that's outside the local church or inside the local church. However we are making disciples, we bring our families with us. I spent an inordinate amount of time on that because I want to make it super practical for us of how we need help here at the Grove. Um, and it's more than just kids' ministry, but kids' ministry is the biggest help. We could figure out the slides with, like, two dudes. It, I mean, they'll have to be here every single Sunday to do it. We can figure it out. We just can't figure it out with, like, five people over here. Um, so we need help. So there's a sign-up sheet. Amy will get into it. I'll let her do it. She does it better than I do. Um, we need help. Uh, but but, but, the, but the, the, the whole point of this is if you think about the earthly, the here and now, it's really easy to say, I can't do that. I can't do that. I, I don't have time for that. But if you think about the investment you're making into the future, when you think about like a, like a heavenly, a kingdom economy, man, like, I think we could do it. I think we can do it. Like we're not going to look back 10,000 years from now and think, man, I really wish I would have finished season three of Stranger Things in three days instead of four days. Like that would have been great. We're not going to say that. We're going we're gonna to wish we did more. We're going to stand before God someday and, and we'll plead the blood of Christ and say, and he's going to give us grace for those who are in Christ. But we're still going to wish we did more. Man, like, I, maybe I shouldn't have watched season three of Stranger Things so fast. Maybe I should have spread that out some and, and, and served some and loved some and, and poured my life out more. Like, that will be our life of regret. Not, I wish I would have spent more time with me. wish I would have spent more time with me. So earthly economy versus heavenly economy. Okay. It's un- so it's earthly, it's unspiritual. Um, it's unspiritual. So it's this idea that false wisdom doesn't rely on the spiritual realm. It doesn't rely on the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, our kids recently learned this really cool story about Joshua. And Joshua was Moses' successor, and he goes in and, and, and goes in the promised land where Moses couldn't. Um, and he is taking the land that God has provided for his people. And so he goes to this place called Jericho. Jericho is like a wildly fortified city. Um, and so there's some things that they have, some plans to send in some spies and do some stuff. But um, one of the things that God asked them to do, they have huge walls. God says, yeah, I have an idea. Like, let's, here's how we're going to take Jericho. I want you to take your marching band, and I want you to march around the walls of Jericho a bunch of times. And just trust me, it's going to be cool. That's a horrible idea, right? Can we just be, like, honest? Like, that's not a good idea. Like, if, if our president today, love him or hate him, if he said, hey, what I want to do is I want to take our army, we're going to go to Iran, and we're going to march around the border of Iran a bunch of times with some drums and some horns, and then we're just going to, that's what we're going to do. It's going to be good. I don't care if you love him or hate him right now, you're going to want him gone. Like, that's not a good idea. It's just not. Because our earthly wisdom is like, no, we've got to have power, we have to have might, we have to do it this way. Where true wisdom, wisdom from on high, relies on a certain measure of spiritual of, spir- of, of spiritualness, I don't know, of the Holy Spirit, okay? It relies on a certain measure of the Holy Spirit where we rely on him. We need him. We can't just do it ourselves. We don't just build an army and go take over cities. We do what God says, even when it seems silly, even when it seems crazy, even when it seems like we'll lose. And not because we'll know we'll win, 
but because even if we lose, we want to honor and glorify our God. So it's spiritual, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. So here's what that means. It's based on lies rooted in what we believe about ourselves and God. It's demonic. To say that I know that God has laid out a way for me to live, I'm going to do it my own way, this way is going to be better for me, is demonic. It goes all the way back to that first lie in the Garden of Eden. So in the Garden of Eden, you've got Genesis 1 and 2, super cool, everything's going great. Genesis 3, things took a turn for the worse pretty badly. Satan comes in, lies to Eve, and says, hey, if you eat this fruit that God told you not to eat, so God has a way, and now we're going to wrestle with our own way. If you eat this fruit God told you not to eat, you'll be like God. That's what's going to happen. You're going to better yourself. You'll be like God. It'll be good. This is the demonic lie we believe. One of the things I read this week I just loved was the first sin was the sin of self-improvement. That's what it was. It was, it was all Eve wanted was to be better than where she was. She didn't believe God, God who said who she was. She wanted to be better than that. Isn't that, isn't that all of our sin? Is rooted in that pride of I know what's going to make me better. So when I lash out or when I, when, when I do this, when I do this, like, like, so God has spoken about so much stuff in our, in our word, right? So like God has determined how we are to live our lives. Um, he has determined um, how we are to use our money, how we are to use our time. We talk about those things. Even how we are to use our sexuality. He's spoken about things. He's, God has spoken about so much that our culture would just freak out about. Like about gender, sexuality, money, um, giving, the poor, uh, the, the rich and powerful and government. He's talking about so much stuff that our, our culture, right and left, would freak out. So the question becomes, are you going to believe the lie that there's a better way than God's way? There's a way that will be better for you because that lie is demonic. There is no truth but my truth. My way is better. From there, he moves on to true wisdom. So according to the text, here's what true wisdom is. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure. The wisdom from above. So there's, again, there's this dichotomy of above versus the earth, right? So there's false wisdom that's earthly, and there's true wisdom that's from above. So there's this idea there's something more to this earth than just this earth. So what I need you guys to see is that true wisdom, being from above, frees us up. Because it means there's something more than this earth, right? We talked about this already. We have 10,000, 20,000, billion years, eternity, we're going to live with God. But if we believe that all there is is today, if we believe that when I die, it's over, we're going to want to fill our life with everything we want to do, and we're, gonna, we're going to get it by any means necessary. And look, guys, I get it. I was once um, young and unmarried, and all I wanted was Jesus to wait a little bit to come back so I could get married. But that, that was like my main thing was like, Jesus, I know everyone's like, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Like, come quickly after I get married and after my honeymoon. That would be fantastic. If you could just do that. You guys can like figure out your own reasons why. But um, that was like what I wanted. I thought, man, if I could just have this, then I'll be good. And then Jesus come back whenever he wants. Because I believed that all there was, even though I would never say it out loud because I was like a youth pastor, I was doing stuff, I believed in my heart that all there was was this earth. And after that, 
There wasn't the kind of joy, the kind of pleasure that I could find on this earth would no longer exist. So I had to get all the joy and pleasure in this finite amount of time. It's just not true. There's more than this earth. There's pleasure beyond this earth. When you die, it's not the end of your life, it's the beginning. If you are in Christ. And so we have to believe it's more than this. And so earlier on in chapter 3, or I'm sorry, uh, earlier on in these verses we read, he would also say of true wisdom, he says, by, in verse, uh, verse 13, the end of it, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The meekness, another word for humility, where you've, uh, you're submitting yourself to God and to others. That true wisdom shows humility, shows submission, which is what, it, which is what we're talking about. You have a God who has designed the world, and true wisdom is the meekness to say, I will submit to that. Even when it's dark, even when I don't understand it, even when it looks like it will rob joy from me, I'm going to believe it will give me joy, even if I never see it on this side of my life. This is what true wisdom says. It's the submission to God that I know what you've said. I know I feel like there's a better way. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to submit to your wisdom. There's this song I've been listening to this week um, by this uh, band called Brentwood Stare. Uh, they're a band from Texas. They wrote this uh, album called The Voyage Home. And it's uh, basically an album just ripped straight out of uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis. Anyone read that? It's a fantastic book. Um, and uh, it's a fantastic series. But it's a really good book. And so there is this uh, song in there. I don't know what it's called. It's called, it's called Courage Dear Heart, if you want to go Google it um, or YouTube or whatever. Courage Dear Heart. And, and it's not this person who just feels so dark. They feel like they're crying out for God and they're not, he's not answering. Um, that they're doing the things that God wants them to do and it's just not working out. And there's this, th like right before it goes in the chorus, there's this part, it says, um, about like darkness and light. It says, for all its haunting, the night never stopped the sun. And there's this belief that this person has that no matter how, no, I follow God, no matter how dark the valley is, no matter how much darkness in my life, darkness has never stopped light from coming. And, and sometimes it's just, the, true wisdom is just the belief that light will come. I may not see it, I may not see the fruit of this wisdom, I may not see the joy of this wisdom, but I believe and trust the God who designed everything that it's there, it's somewhere. And so I will kneel and I will say, you are my king, take me where you want me, show me where you want me to go and I'll go, even if it looks painful. That's what true wisdom is, it's this submission. Look, I know that God has said some unpopular things in scripture. I know God has said some things that would lead you to believe he wants to rob joy from you. That if you do, if you, um, do sexuality this way, then, then that's not what I want, and that's going to hurt me and make me bitter and angry and depressed. That God said, if you do marriage this way, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, laying your life down for her. Man, if I do that, I'm going to be miserable. Here's what I have. I got guys in the church all the time, and there's some sitting here today who just struggle in marriage. They just struggle in their marriage. Um, and women too, but guys I talk to more than women. Um, they struggle. My advice is always the same. It does not change. Uh, I don't really care what the issue is. Uh, there may be like some nuances, but the ice is always the same. Love your wife. Serve your wife. Lay your life down for her. Um, you keep doing that, 
and you just keep doing that. No matter what she does, no matter if she changes or not, you be an example to her of who Jesus is to her church. And that's the best thing for you. Here's why this gets hard. Here's what happens in the mind of a guy at that moment. Struggling with a woman. Because the Bible would say some things about contentious women, about um, the contentious wife or the, or the nagging wife. Like, can we just, just real quick. Um, in the book of Proverbs, there's a couple times where the nagging wife is discussed. It's like a dripping faucet, the Bible would say. So just think like waterboarding, okay? Like that's what, that's the kind of, thing that is, right? A contentious wife. It's like better to live on your roof than to live in a house with a contentious wife. It's better to just die in the desert. There is some real uh, struggle with some men who live with some wives who, who do things like this. There's some real struggle there. But here's what happens in the mind of the men. When I, my advice is just keep laying your life down. I know it sucks. I know it's better to go out in the desert with no water or food and just die. I get it. That's <laughs> what the Bible says. Um, I get it, but just keep laying your life down. Keep laying your life down. And what happens in the mind is, oh my goodness, is this the rest of my life? Is this, is this, am I going to be laying my life down? Like, when do I get my, like, am I going to keep laying my life down so that she could be lifted up, so that she could find joy, so that she can find her giftings and flourish? Am I going to keep laying my life down so she can flourish for the rest of my life? When do I flourish? And the answer is, I don't know. Maybe when you die. Hopefully before then, but I can't promise that. But when we think about this earth is all there is, that is an unbelievably overbearing command of God. But if we think about eternity, I could lay my life down for the next 30 years because I got billions of years past that. I could lay my life down for the next 20 years. Like that's, that becomes easier to manage and easier to think, I'm investing in something. I'm investing in my wife. I'm investing in my kids on what Christ looks like when I do this. And maybe it'll get better. Maybe it won't. But it definitely will someday. And that's the call. And so there's this idea that we submit to God even when it looks like this is going to be miserable. We submit. And we could talk about all sorts of things and ways to do that. So as we grow in true wisdom, we grow in meekness, we, we, we grow in peace, and we'll reap a harvest of righteousness. So let's read... Um, he says in verse 17, but in the wisdom that is above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy. So, so th there's a way to be wise where you're just like telling everyone else what to do. And like, this is wisdom. This is what you should do. This is how you should live, right? Um, that's not peaceable. It's not open to reason. It's not full of mercy. Because life is about you. It's no longer you have the right words to say, but your wisdom is actually false wisdom. There's a way to say the right things, to tell people the right things to do, to give the right advice, to give the right wisdom that makes it false wisdom because of the way you're saying it. We talked about last week, there's a way to share good, great, sound doctrine and theology that will abuse people and hurt people. There's a way to give true, right, good wisdom that becomes false wisdom because it's not peaceable, it's not open to reason, and it's not full of mercy. We will bash people over the head with our truth and our wisdom because we want to be right. Not because we care about them. Because if we cared about them, we would plead with them, not bash it over their heads. We'd be like, please, like, come on, this is, this is what's best for you. Would you enter in? Would you enter in? This is what's best for you. So he grows in these things. And then, good fruits, impartial and sincere. And then finally, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I love this part. 
this is so cool to me. Um, when you guys become a Christian, if you're, if you're a Christian here today, if you've repented and put, of your sin and put faith in Jesus Christ, the moment you did that, Christ's righteousness was given to you. We would use the word imputed. It was imputed to you. Um, one of my favorite doctrines is the, um, we'll just call it the doctrine of the great exchange. Uh, the doctrine, yeah, we'll just call it that. Uh, the doctrine of the great exchange where on the cross, Jesus took your sin. Before that, he lived this perfect life, and so he had this perfect righteousness. So he took your sin, and he gave you his righteousness. So in a moment, righteousness was accounted to you. In a moment, you became positionally righteous before God. But God loves you too much to leave you in positional righteousness. You are justified by faith alone, but then you're sanctified. And God will begin to change you from the inside out, not the outside in. This isn't religion, this isn't moralism, but from the inside out, God will begin to change you and you'll begin to reap a righteousness that God is not just imputing to you, but creating inside of you because of his spirit and his wisdom. This is awesome because we've been imputed righteousness and that is incredible, but now he's giving us a righteousness by changing us and we're we're becoming more and more righteous. We're becoming more and more like Christ from one degree of glory to the next. This is good. This is awesome. So we have this false wisdom. We have some diagnostic tools to think, hey, man, am I thinking earthly about my life? Am I thinking um, unspiritual about my life? Is my life believing lies and, and, and more demonic? And we have this true wisdom. How do we grow in true wisdom? I have three things. And then, uh, so I got three ways for us to grow in true wisdom. Then I want to wrap it up with one closing thought, and we'll be done. So I'm just telegraphing again how the end of the sermon is going to be. The first way to grow in true wisdom is we have to have an ever-growing understanding of the God of the Bible. Not of the, God, not of the God of our own understanding, but the God of the Bible. Now, I'm saying this carefully. I'm not saying you need to have an ever-growing understanding of the Bible. You need to have an ever-growing understanding of the God of the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 will be up here on the screen. But it says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable or valuable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped of every good work. So if you want to grow in true wisdom, you need to grow in your understanding of the God of the Bible. Here's why. Because if you understand the God of the Bible, so, so when, thing, when God calls you to something, when God says, hey, this is how I want you to live, um, if you don't understand the God of the Bible, you're going to think he's cruel. You're going to think he's mean. He's, he's, you're going to think he's trying to rob you of something. But if you understand the kindness, the long-suffering, the love of God, his character, not just, not just uh, facts from the Bible, you understand his character and who he is, then when he calls you to something that's difficult, you can trust him. You'll be more inclined to trust him. You're more inclined to believe his promises. So when you feel like, man, I just don't think God's there, you're more inclined to believe, you know what, but I know, I know he never leaves me or forsakes me. Like, I, I get it, I, I understand, like, I'm going to believe that. I'm going to choose to believe that instead of this. And so I think a lot of us, we think we become a Christian, things should just, like, magically start happening, right? And so, like, I'm not, I don't want to be unspiritual here, but some of us just think we, like, magically, like, start growing. Sometimes it just comes down to you just got to choose, like, say out loud in prayer, like, God, I choose to believe that you will never leave me or forsake me. Man, there's parts of my heart that doubt, help me with my doubt, but I believe this. 
You just got to make some choices and choose some things. So we have to understand the Bible. This is why the Grove preaches from the Bible. This is why we have a free library back there where you've got books. We want to help you understand the God of the Bible. We've spent um, money on things like Right Now Media to where everyone here gets an account to Right Now Media. Um, it is a free account for you. The church pays for it. And it's like, like the Netflix of Bible study. Um, you just get to like pick things you want to watch and you can watch things and learn about the God of the Bible. This is why we do kids ministry the way we do kids ministry. Like, look, we are not ever going to build a rock wall or like a big tube that shoots your kid out when you check them out. Like, those things are cool and nice, but we're going to spend our money and our resources on equipping and teaching people um, how to share Jesus with your kids through Scripture every single Sunday. So when your kids come here, they don't just learn about, um, you know, like David slew Goliath, and you can be David too. They learn about how Jesus is our David. They learn about how Jesus has slain the giant for us. They learn, like, honestly, if you, if you want to know, like, your kids are going to learn that they are the Israelites cowering in the corner, and they can trust Jesus to fight for them. Like, this is why we do what we do. This is why, so when it comes to, like, the women's Bible study that's going on right now, we have, um, it, the number's growing. People are, like, jumping in in, like, the middle of the study. It's fantastic. We're spending over, this isn't a brag about me. This is a decision the church has made. We're spending over $1,000 on childcare for 10 weeks so that people can come and hear and be taught who God is in Genesis 1 through 11. It's a lot of money. We spend, that, we spend more than that for home groups all, all year long. Like this is, like, and, and, and this isn't a brag about the church, but like I want you to see this is how we are investing in the kingdom. We are investing in such a way we want you guys to know this God. So when it comes from preaching, when it comes to home groups, when it comes to Bible studies, when it comes to kids ministry, it's going to be word-centered and gospel-centered. Because we believe that if you can understand the God of the Bible, then it will change everything. And if you can trust that he's bringing you into the fullness of life, instead of trying to rob life from you, you'll begin to walk in glad obedience to him. Second thing I'd say is to be in community. Proverbs eleven fourteen. it's not up there, I forgot to put it up there, my bad. Proverbs eleven fourteen would say this, where there is no guidance, a people fail. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. It's Proverbs eleven fourteen. In an abundance of counselors, there is safety. <sighs> community can be awkward, right? Can we just be like, I'm not going to out anyone in my home like I did last time, but community can be awkward. Like, there's just some awkward things in community. Um, you're going to go to home group, and you're going to, um, you're going to hear someone share their story, and it's going to be deep, and it's going to be dark, and you're like, I don't even know what to do with that. That's okay. You're going to be like, I don't know what to say to that person. Maybe you don't say anything. We don't always have to say stuff, and we're slow to speak, quick to hear. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable, but if we can just be real about our own lives, Everything, I would almo almost everything good in our life has come from some measure of being uncomfortable. Whether that's your health, like if you like want to be healthy and you want like, you know, your, your heart to be good, you got to like, you got to run and exercise, right? That's uncomfortable. It hurts. It's painful. Everything in your life, good, has some measure of being uncomfortable attached to it. Community is one of those things where it's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to get together, and at some point you're going to share your story. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're not going to know what to talk about or what to say or what people will think of me. But community is necessary for this because we have blind spots. We have blinders on. We're like those crazy horses we talked about last week where like they have those blinders on because they don't want to see things. We have, our, we have blinders on. We can't see things. We need other people in our life to be like, hey, 
hey, it kind of seems like you're believing some false wisdom here, like living in such a way that doesn't line up with what you say. Like, can we, t- can we chat about that? Like, not because I want to be right and I want to tell you how wrong you are, because I love you. There's a better way to love your wife than that. Can we talk, man? Like, this is the kind of thing that community brings. And this is the kind of community that we're looking for. It'll be weird. It'll be uncomfortable. But it's so good for your soul. The last thing is uncomfortable for me to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Last would be about trusting and being careful about those who lead you. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So that's a crazy verse, right? It's crazy for me to say to you guys. I'm like, it, would, it could sound like, here's what I'm saying, you guys need to obey and submit to me leading this church. That's what the Bible's saying, but that's not what I'm saying. Because when I read this verse, I don't even see that part. You know what part I see? I'm going to have to give an account doesn't keep me up at night, like, wondering if you guys are going to obey or submit. What keeps me up is, man, I'm going to have to give an account for this. I'm going to have to give an account for the way that I lead, for the way that I um, shepherd these men and women that God has given to us. But there is a measure that you guys need to hear. True wisdom isn't always black and white. Like, there's messy, we live in a fallen world, and there's messy situations. Things happen that aren't God, part of God's grand plan, like his, his de- grand, I'm sorry, his grand desire, right? Like his desire was never for Adam and Eve to sin, but they did. He had a plan for it, but it wasn't his ultimate desire. His ultimate desire is for his glory, so he allows things to happen for his glory and our joy. But there's things that he wants to go a certain way. And those things don't always happen that way. Now he's, he, he has hierarchy desires, we can get in that later. But here's what I need you to hear me say. Life gets messy, and things are outside of God's design. That's a better way to say it. God's, God has, the things that happen that are outside of God's design. And at that, of those moments where things aren't black and white, we need to submit to the leaders of our local churches. Now that, yes, that does include myself, and it includes your home group leaders. It inc- includes people who are leading certain ministries as we need to, when things happen outside of God's design, and, and, and the Bible doesn't speak like, hey, this is what you do, and this happens here on this day, on this time. It's like, hey, let's, we need to get help. We need to get, like, I need, some, I need some guidance. I need some wisdom. And God has designed wisdom to flow from the leaders that he's put over churches. This is James. Um, this is p- probably Paul in Hebrews talking to the church. And this is James talking to his church and giving them wisdom. So here's what I want to say. Is that when life gets messy, when things happen outside of God's design, we need to find help. Get some, get, find the community and find some wisdom. And, and people that God has put around you and above you in different ways. Here's the thing, and I'll close with this. Here's the thing we have to understand. Uh, we have to understand that all of this is rooted and centered in the gospel. That God has freed us to follow him. That God has freed us to choose true wisdom. Because before that happens, before we respond to the gospel, before Jesus saves us, and we are in false wisdom, and we don't have a way out. All who hate wisdom love death. I would submit that they're already, that they're just dead. And so we're dead in our false wisdom, and God has made a way to bring us in true wisdom, and he gives it freely, according to James 1. So here's what I would ask. As we transition to a time of response, where we sing to God, and we take communion, and we have time of giving, 
is that we would do the diagnostic parts of our, of our heart. Are there areas of my life where I'm submitting to myself, submitting to false wisdom? Where would God have me trust him? Where would God have me submit to him? Even like some of the things that God's going to call us to submit to could be life-changing. It could be, man, I've always just thought this is the way I was supposed to be. And this, the culture has affirmed that. My family has affirmed that. My friends have affirmed that. But I, I know God's been saying this. I just thought he was wrong, or I thought it meant something else. And God's going to call us, say, no, like, trust me. Trust me. God is going to say, hey, I want you to jump into the deep end. I want you to swim. I know it's going to look scary, but trust me, you're going to enjoy it. So we would trust him and we'll jump in because we know who he is. So know that our God is good. Know that our king is kind. And he would not call you into something that would destroy you, but he would call you into something that would bring you life, even if you never see it this side of eternity. So I'll pray for us. We can come up. If you're a Christian, you can walk up here. You can walk around. There's communion. There's wine and or juice, um, mostly or wine or juice. And you can take that. You can go back to your seat. You can um, celebrate what God has done for you, that God has made a way through the blood of his son and through the breaking of, of his body. He's made a way for you to come back to him, to come to true wisdom, to live a life that's full of life abundantly and not death and destruction. Uh, if you're a member of the Grove and you want to support and invest in what we're doing here for the kingdom, that you can give on the bar as well. Um, and also we'll be singing um, and, and our, our hope and joy is that you would sing with glad hearts and praise to God who has made this way for you. If you're not a Christian, you're free to sing with us. Um, don't feel like you have to give. We hope that this gift is just our, I'm sorry, that this service is just our gift to you. Um, and also we would ask that you uh, wouldn't take communion if you're not a follower of Christ. You would just, no one's going to look at you weird. No one's going to like be like, why is that person going up there? No one's going to say that. Um, but you can stand, you can sing with us. We just ask that you to be reserved for those who believe. And so I'll pray for us, and then we will respond to God. Father, God, I thank you so much for your word, Lord. I thank you for James' um, boldness and honesty, and as Jesus' little brother, um, that we can read this letter, and it can just really read us in our hearts. Uh, and I pray that that would be what happens here, is that this letter reads us, and it does the diagnostic work in our heart that we would um, know where we stand when it comes to wisdom. We know that there's pockets of our life where we've um, said, no, I know what's best, that you would just break those down for our own good. Even if it's painful, you'd break those down for our own good and our own joy. God, I pray that you would lead our church into true wisdom. I pray that you would lead the grove into a wisdom that honors and glorifies you, that does not say we know what's best, but we would submit to you. We'd submit to your word. I pray, God, that you would help us at the grove enter into community. You'd help us get to know you better through the revealed word that you've given us. And that as we sing, as we eat, drink, and give, and as we try to bless you through those things, that you'd receive that and in turn bless us with your presence. Father, I love you. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.